Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody, even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. good all right let's get started yeah how are you doing here uh how are you feeling post wild card weekend oh i feel really good and then i feel somewhat disappointed in, in the in the play that i really endorsed the most on your podcast a week ago which was mike mccarthy Moneyline. uh you know this guy he's the worst and shame on me for back, back in back in his sorry ass but you know the beautiful thing is about betting is live betting and you can read the room if you've been doing this for a while Kyle like I have and I, I got San Francisco minus 150 live when they were up seven nothing I said this this game may be over um, you know Dallas on ice skates punted right so as soon as Dallas punted on the first drive I felt disgusting by my bet, so I, I hedged out. Still lost money on it, but but didn't lose at all, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the the disappointing moment of the weekend. Everything else for money line betters like myself, parlays, whew, easy cash. I mean, you talk about Buffalo, Tampa, right? I mean, it was uh, it was pretty straightforward. The game that I did not like. And I stayed away, and it was the right call to stay away because there was so much on the line at fourth and goal from the nine-yard line in Vegas, Cincinnati. Anything could have transpired. If, if Vegas scores, we go to overtime. What happens in overtime? Does Vegas go for two in regulation if they score? So your money line play and your ATS play were just so up in the air in that game. I stayed away. I enjoyed the value of just watching as an NFL fan, and it, it really delivered the drama at the end. Yeah, and that game was really fascinating because you had two teams that were relatively evenly matched. I know the Raiders were not as good as their record suggested this year, and they were incredibly lucky at the back end of the season. But even still, they matched up relatively well with the Bengals. Their problem was just they had no defense by the end of the season. They finished like 17th in DVOA and then lost four starters in the last two games of the season to injury. So they just did the best they could. And then Derek Carr came storming back. And like you said, it was fun to watch that one. It was fun to watch the Cowboys storm back. Cause I felt like the, the, the fourth quarter of that game was proof that your process was better than the results. Cause the Cowboys were clearly the better team than the 49ers. And you saw it towards the back end. It was just, you know, it, like you said, it was a punt here. It was opportunistic job by the 49ers when Dak threw that pick and immediately Debo Samuel had a touchdown right after like just really opportunistic game planning for the 49ers to pull off the only real upset of the weekend everything else was chalk because 
all of the, or not all of the good teams, but you know, there were about four teams that belonged in the playoffs that didn't make the playoffs. And so the Eagles got crushed. The Steelers got crushed. The Patriots got crushed. Even if they belonged in the playoffs, it wasn't close And Arizona got crushed. So it was kind of, everything was kind of up in the air because we had those matchups that weren't necessarily even, but I did find that that um, the 49ers Cowboys ending and the Raiders Bengals second half to be super fascinating from a even matchup teams putting out whatever they're putting out type of game. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I lost you there for about five seconds or so, but I can hear you well now. Oh, no problem. Yeah, we're good then. Um, I guess throwing a question out there, I guess th- to throw a question at you for the Dallas Cowboys side, um, you you went right in on McCarthy, which I'm happy to go in on Mike McCarthy just as a general concept, because the greatest indictment we can say about Mike McCarthy is that he only has one championship. That is the great indictment of Mike McCarthy is that he somehow only has one championship in all these years. But he's going to get protected the same way Garrett does, right? Like this is going to be a thing where Dallas gets to have the coach they want and not cave to public pressure because they're the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's going anywhere. That's that, that's kind of, we're kind of, you know, swimming into the Jason Garrett territory where we get you to somewhere where you need to be. And yet we just can't finish the job. And I think, I just so the the questionable mark here, and actually almost worked out where McCarthy kicked the field goal down uh, sixteen points. Right, I be, I believe the score was twenty six ten early in the fourth quarter, and you're down sixteen, and it's fourth and you know seven, and it's going to be a fifty one yard field goal, and th- that's where I said to myself, man, you just you just cannot you just cannot put big money on this guy in, in big spots because these are, these are judgment calls. Now I'm going to, I'm going to flip the script and, and it almost worked out. It almost worked out, but you have to ask yourself, this is who's, who's approving the play at the end, right? I mean, who's approving this, this quarterback run with no timeouts with 14 seconds left. I mean, does it go through McCarthy? Does it, I mean, it, it, who, who, who is, giving the green light to all this. There are a lot of confusing parts to this game. You know, and the thing was that if you really want to be, you know, dissecting everything, what I learned from this game is that Jimmy G cannot be trusted against a good team for four quarters, okay? I mean, that that was an inexcusable interception in the middle of the fourth quarter. Uh, he, he missed some easy targets second half. Dallas had no business in this game. They had no business in this game. They, San Francisco, if Jimmy G doesn't throw interceptions, figures out to maybe check down, throw the ball when, when, when there wasn't anyone of, you know, open it. Just chuck it, chuck it down to Mitchell or run yourself. Be smart. Don't give Dallas a chance to come back. And he did. So the biggest lesson I took away from this game was, yeah, Mike McCarthy is an average football coach, but Jimmy G. Jimmy G gave Dallas. You have to play mistake-free football. I don't trust Jimmy. This is one of the interesting things that I've figured out about the Jimmy Garoppolo experience, shall it say, is like Jimmy Garoppolo is really good when 
they don't have to hide him. Like if Jimmy Garoppolo has enough weapons, he can be what essentially Kirk Cousins is, but he's also in quarterback purgatory because he's been there so long that they've kind of worn thin on the Garoppolo experience. And Jimmy Garoppolo, this is the reason why they got Trey Lance in the first place. And, you know, I think the question of it, was it a good move or not is all based on how good Trey Lance is, which the 49ers are giving me signals that they don't think Trey Lance is as good as they originally thought he was because they didn't play him at all this year and aggressively fought to get Jimmy G back with, again, his ligament in his thumb was ripped off of his bone in his hand, and they still fought to get him back at the end of the season over Trey Lance. I just, yeah, it's going to work out and it's really hard to get to the final eight teams. But like you said, the 49ers are totally outperforming expectations and they got every last ounce out of that Jimmy G run that they could have possibly gotten this year. They squeezed every last drop out of this Jimmy Garoppolo experience. And I mean, like you said, if you don't trust them in that way, they're about 13 teams that don't have a quarterback in the NFL that I guess would be okay to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and let me give some credit to Jimmy Garoppolo now. I know I just uh, I took a I took a, a stance on how I don't trust him for four quarters, which I probably still don't against good teams. But yeah, the guy's playing injured. The guy looks like a superstar when the chips are not down, when it's early in the game, there's not a lot of pressure. He finds the right open receivers, and he is he's a good quarterback. I just don't think he can pull it off for four quarters against Green Bay. So we'll just start with that game right there. You know, a lot of these games, I kind of like to, you know, take the underdog against the spread and, as you know, play the money line favorite heavy. I I think I'm going to stay away from San Francisco here completely and just go with the Green Bay Packers money line and just just have confidence that maybe San Francisco backdoor covers. But I just I just think Jimmy G, if he gets down two scores, you're going to see a lot of unforced errors made by this quarterback. And I feel like Green Bay is capable of doing that. Packers, yeah. uh, you know, excuse me, Pat, Pat, Las Vegas is taking a lot of San Francisco money right now. So I, 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 feel, I feel good as we approach this weekend to go big on the Green Bay money line. Oh, yeah. So after the, after the game on Sunday, I was doing a, a, a YouTube clip with our buddy Juju and – one of the things he, uh, I was talking to him about it. I'm like, it would have to be like a 10 point spread for me to even consider starting to bet the San Francisco 49ers. And then the line came out, it was like six and a half. And I think it's moved a little bit in favor of San Francisco because they're trying to entice people to bet the 49ers a little bit. But I was surprised that the, I was surprised the line was so close. I know San Francisco has been pretty good this year, but I, it feels like it underestimates that the Packers are really freaking good. And the Packers have depth at positions that the 49ers at this point barely have starters at. And I think that's something that's going to come back to bite them. Not to mention, obviously, Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers type things. Uh, but I guess credit to the 49ers defense. They they did well against the Cowboys, certainly, like better than I expected against the Cowboys. But I'm with you. Like the Packers are going to destroy the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, and we talked about the Green Bay one-two punch at, at, at the running game. And that's something that Dallas just un- is so underwhelming with, uh, with Elliott and Pollard. I think Pollard's probably the better running back. They didn't give him enough reps. I think he's also hurt. So we didn't see the best of Tony Pollard that we could have saw on, on Sunday afternoon. But when you got Jones and Dylan healthy and, you know, how do you get ready for this game? 
if you are based in Santa Clara, California. I mean, you know the weather out there. I mean, it's just one of those situations where if you get punched in the mouth early, just like the New England Patriots did in, in, in under 10 degree weather, you're in big trouble uh, as a road team that is not prepared and ready for this game. So, you know, I, I really hope that Joe Public continues to put money on the 49ers and on the money line. And maybe we get better value on, you know, Saturday morning where, you know, maybe it sits right now at minus 280 and maybe we can get it down to 225 or 230. But that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for more public money to bring down this line and hopefully I get a little better value on a Saturday morning versus a Tuesday evening. And on Saturday night, according to the weather forecast, it will be 17 degrees with light snow and 15 mile an hour winds and up to 25 mile an hour gusts in Santa Clara, which could work out for the 49ers considering they like to run the football and hide Jimmy Garoppolo. But it also means that they're going to be scrambling to try and find points if the Packers get like 17 then the 49ers are going to be like ah crap now we got to throw the ball all over the place because we can't score enough points to compete with the Packers unless they put up basically nothing you'd have to look to see if San Francisco's played any bad weather games this year and they the one that that reminds me excuse me the one that I can remember would be the one where they hosted the Colts on a very rainy, windy night back in ah, early October or mid-October. I remember that they, one because I'm over in Sacramento, and so we got that exact same storm as well. It was like 4.8 inches of rain within 24 hours. It was like a crazy storm that week in, in the local area in Northern California. Yeah, so I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about Green Bay this Saturday, but I did feel great about Dallas on Sunday, and maybe I'm proven wrong Again, maybe, but I feel like you're pretty money line Green Bay. You're pretty good. Like maybe the maybe the 49ers get it to like seven and a half and then they like cover at the end because it's a six point Packer lead and the Packers are just running out the clock and going into victory formation. Like maybe they sneaky cover there, but also Packers could win by three touchdowns or two touchdowns or, you know, just dominate the first three quarters of the game and then the 49ers are looking up like Aaron Donald last year, where he's getting dominated by Elton Jenkins in the playoffs. This actually, now that I say that this basically feels like the same divisional round as last year when the, the Rams upset the Seahawks and then they went to green Bay and got dominated. It kind of feels like exactly the same team for San Francisco His low upside quarterback wins an upset with his defense against the team that we all thought was better six seed goes to green Bay and loses by two touchdowns. Feels like the exact same game script as last season. That's amazing. That's exactly what we're looking at. We're, we're, we're looking at the same image as we did in 2021 with the uh, LA Rams, you know, going to the Pacific Northwest and beating a Seattle team where you would think Seattle should win that game by a touchdown. Like I thought Dallas would on Sunday. And now both the Rams and the Seahawks, both the Rams and the Niners, in the spot in Green Bay. So, yeah, I, I like that analysis. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Kyle. I like the Packers to uh, roll in this game. This entire season is kind of doing a mirror image of last year, all the way down to Aaron Rodgers is going to win the MVP. Bucks Packers looking like the NFC Championship game. And on the other side, Bills and Chiefs probably should have been the AFC Championship game because they're the two best teams in the AFC by far. And it's kind of doing a mirror image of last year all over again this year with those teams just being so far ahead of everyone else in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. 
There we go. There we go. I'm here. Yes. So uh, let's go to the other NFC game. Let's let's do Rams and Bucks because obviously Bills and Chiefs is like the game of the weekend AFC championship in the second round. But I'm fascinated by this Rams Bucks game because it feels like all the analysis I can give is it's Matthew Stafford. What Matthew Stafford shows up is going to be the entire game plan because Buccaneers have the best rushing defense maybe of the last 10 years in the NFL and the Rams have not been as big a rushing team as they've been in past years, mostly just because of personnel. Now they get, you know, Akers is obviously there, so they have the three running backs, but they haven't been a running team this year. So this one just feels like how good is Stafford going to be? If Stafford has an all-world game, they can beat the Buccaneers, and if not, then the Buccaneers will win by a touchdown or so. Yeah, this is a really tough game to handicap because there's two mitigating factors I look at. Number one is Matthew Stafford in a big spot. Well, he did it last night, but did he really do it last night? We'll talk about that down the road. Um, If you can run on Tampa Bay, you can set up the pass. And the, the Tampa Bay secondary is not very good. We talked about this on your podcast last week. Philadelphia is a terrible matchup for Tampa Bay. Not for Tampa. Philadelphia is just bad for themselves to play Tampa because they cannot throw the ball, and they have what I would say an above-average running game. But if you cannot run the ball with any threat, Tampa Bay will destroy you. Now, the Rams can run the ball. With the combination of Akers and Michelle, I feel pretty good about the Rams here. I don't like this game. It's a stay-away game, as Cincinnati-Las Vegas was, because if Matt Stafford plays well, if they run the ball well, I think the Rams can run the Bucks out of the gym. They did it in L.A. They, they are capable. They have more weapons. There's no God curse Cooper Cup. The running, back, the running backs of the Rams are simply vastly better than the Tampa running backs. Let's see if Lenny Fournette gets back on the field. Kyle, I is tough man i'm staying away i mean i mean honestly you know like if you really have to bet the game the only way to do this in my opinion is you play tampa on the money line and then you bring the rams up to plus three three and a half you're going to go one and one right you can't lose both bets maybe you go two and oh maybe tampa wins by one to three points but just a tough game to bet you should enjoy this game don't have a good good feel on this as i do with green bay and the other game that we'll talk about soon how effective is that one-on-one strategy? Because I know normally when you do it, you lose money because you, you usually take a favorite, which is a minus 200 or so, and then the, the plus-minus line is usually an even split. So does that strategy work effectively if you do it in bulk? Because I'm, not, I'm not a huge betting other than just for entertainment purposes on the podcast. So does that strategy work relatively effectively if you do it like if you do it hundreds of times over? Uh, I would say in a very large sample size, no. So if you're betting money lines and you're betting 100 NFL games per year on the money line, I would probably use this strategy 20 to 25% of the time. Now, how many times does it work of that 20 to 25% of the time? Well, for me, Kyle, it's about about 60 to 65%. So that's really good. There were a few games recently that it worked, like the Philadelphia Eagles playing the Washington football team. We took the Eagles on the money line. We took the Washington football team against the spread. Boom, that hit. Uh, there was another game recently where I lost, where I against the spread. But if I just would have taken the Rams on the money line, large coin there, but the, the Niners helped me out against the spread. So yes, you're mitigating 
a little bit of risk there. I don't recommend doing it for every game because, like you said, you if the money line guy, if the money line team wins, they may they can easily just cover that number and you just washed away your money line earnings. So I don't recommend it for every game. I would have recommended it for the Rams and Bucks if the Bucks were a four point favorite. I would say, okay, let's go ahead and t- I like the Rams catching four, four and a half. But I still think the Bucks win this game by a field goal. Then I'm then I'm all in in this bet. But the line's only two, right? So I don't see much value of doing this uh, unless you just had to bet the game. I, I I just I probably would go both ways, like I just alluded to. But a stay away game completely. I don't recommend this in a large sample size. I recommend it when you see good bettors can see these spots. They can see that oh my god, the Eagles are not capable of blowing out Washington. But let's go ahead and let's make this fun. I really think that the Eagles are going to find a way to win this game. And there's no way they're going to cover the number because the Eagles don't cover seven-point spreads. So there you go. That was a good example where I felt very good about an Eagles team that I know was going to win the game because somehow Washington would screw it up, but yet couldn't cover that large number. So that's, yeah, that, that's, how, I, that's how I approach this. That's good to know. It's like a pick your spots thing with the expertise that you can find Razor Rosenthal giving over on Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official, of course, with all of that expertise to know exactly when to pick your spots. Uh, You mentioned when you were doing the Rams Bucks analysis that you, you alluded to the idea of Matthew Stafford doing it, but also not really doing it in a big game. So I would like to hear what you have for elaboration on that. Cause I, I do find interesting how that Cardinals and Rams game went down on Monday. A couple great throws by Matt Stafford in the first quarter, part of second part of the early part of the second quarter. But I mean, the, the, it was a gift. I mean, Arizona couldn't do anything right. We, we let's start with the incredible throw by Kyler Murray that landed for an incompletion from his own end zone. When Christian Kirk just, kind of stopped on the route because I think he thought it was going to more, right? So if he catches that in stride, seven, nothing Arizona with ease, this guy's gone. Everybody mm-hmm. stopped. And, the, and so that kind of set the tone where the confidence level, you could tell the body language from Kyle and Murray was really poor. Uh, you know, he got gifted a lot of opportunities, Matt Stafford. He had the pick six. He had seven on the board there. He got gifted amazing field position. So Tom Brady's not going to gift Matt Stafford in the, in the Los Angeles Rams that kind of field position, those extra seven points on the board for a two-yard interception for a touchdown. By the way, I think you probably heard on the broadcast the shortest ever pick six in, in playoff history. Uh, yeah, I think it was a two-yard INT for a touchdown. Inexcusable throw from your own end zone by Murray. So did, did Matt Stafford get the job done? Yes, he did. You know, what did he have, 17 attempts? No interceptions, no fumbles. But is that good enough to beat Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes? Probably not. So now I ask you this. You, can you trust Matthew Stafford to give you what you had on Monday Night Football times two or times two and a half? I don't trust him that much. He's capable. He has weapons. He has incredible weapons. When OBJ, who still is an incredible wide receiver, is your wide receiver two? Van Jefferson, I think a fantastic wide receiver three. I think Higby is probably, you know, a very viable 
top six tight end, number six or seven in the league. So you have these weapons, but can you do it when it counts? And Matt Stafford somewhat proved it last night, not all the way based on how poor Arizona's performance was and how poor of a performance Arizona has provided over the last seven games. I took the Rams money line. I was like, you know, this is, this is a bet against Arizona. Not so much. I trust Matt Stafford, but you saw the wheels falling off in, in over, you know, five, six weeks ago when that in, in Detroit, the wheels were off. People started to figure out Kyler Murray, just get the guy to scramble East and West and make him go South. If you keep him away from going North, the guy, it's, they're, they're useless. He, I mean, he cannot, he cannot, he makes amazing throws down the field, 46 yards. But how many times does Kyler Murray just throw the ball in the dirt when he's you know throwing it 10 to 13 yards? It's, it's all the time. So the wheels were off the bus. Arizona was a horrific playoff team last night, and that is why Matt Stafford gets his first W. So let's see. Let's see. I, I want to wait and see approach here. That's why I can't bet on the Rams on Sunday. Yeah, there were a few of those shocking ones for me where it was like Derek Carr played his first playoff game on Saturday. I was like, oh my God, that's incredible, but also true because he's been a Raider for his entire career. Uh, And also OBJ playing in his second playoff game. I'm like, God, that dude got ruined by, you know, you can argue the two worst franchises in the NFL of the last 10 years. I know Cleveland's kind of turned a corner a bit now, but you know, Browns and Giants are not regarded as great franchises. And those those were kind of interesting. I, I kind of was with you on the Kyler Murray part of he he can once he, if you don't keep him moving north, you can slow him down significantly. But the thing I found interesting about Murray was DeAndre Hopkins going out really changed how they ran that offense. And also Max Williams going down hurt just in the way they ran the offense early in the season. But Zach Ertz kind of came in and that was like kind of getting it sort of in check. But I thought people were pointing to the fact that DeAndre Hopkins wasn't the same receiver he used to be and not pointing to the fact that the Cardinals were so much better with DeAndre Hopkins than without DeAndre Hopkins. And I think that kind of did them in at the back end of the season where they just didn't have anything to respond to on offense. And they got down early in a bunch of games against the Lions and against, uh, was it Carolina they lost to? I can't remember. They I did lose Carolina. to Carolina. Yep. They yeah. Did lose. That, was, that was Cam Newton's return when he was so excited on the first touchdown, alluding to the fact that I'm back. Well, not so much, Cam, but uh, yeah, the, the, the wheels were off the bus. I, look, DeAndre Hopkins is a top five receiver, and we have seen the effects of how important this guy is to both the Houston Texans, who's, you know, that team has really imploded, obviously, Deshaun Watson, but more importantly, <laughs> Arizona needing him in, this, in these last eight games. But yeah, again, a play against the Cardinals last night was the effective way to go. Uh, not so much a play on Matt Stafford and the Rams. Yeah. Uh, also, it, it was after we did our podcast last week, but we celebrate every single year for, I, I think we'll do this forever, but every year we celebrate the anniversary of the Houston Texans being up 24-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs about to go to the Super Bowl. 
And then since then, they are 8-26, and 26, and the only thing to show for it is Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead. So the only positive pieces they have to build off of on um, 8-26 over the last two seasons. And that, and that same Rex Burkhead and Davis Mills did defeat the number one overall seed in Nashville, Tennessee, just about eight weeks ago. So how do you like that? Yeah, you have that one victory to show for it. And also they made J.J. Watt give up. That was the other thing that happened last year. They lost to Brandon Allen and J.J. Watt just gave up. He's like, I try to be Mr. Positive. I try to be Captain America and more of a man than all of us. But he gave up. He just like they made him give up after that whole season. And then he left a week later. Uh, You mentioned the Uh, Titans. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, what were you going to say, say first well, One more comment. One more comment. Then we're going to transition to Tennessee, Cincinnati. You said J.J. Watt. And I, you know what I knew the game was over? Is when J.J. Watt was not in the game when Matt Stafford QB snuck the ball two times from the one-yard line. And I just said to myself, what is wrong with this coaching staff? This is the guy that you're so excited to have back who's going to stuff the run better. I don't care if he's hurt or not. He's probably better than anyone else you have out there. He's sitting on the sideline. You could see his frustration. And, you know, Matt Stafford, it took him two tries to gain a half a yard, but he did. And I think that that sends a message. And I could be wrong. Listen, there's could be medical issues. And I'm just a guy that's watching it from his couch. And I understand that. And I respect these guys, the Arizona Cardinals coaching staff, J.J. Watt, more than anything in the world. But it just sent a message to me personally that something's wrong here. This team is discombobulated. Why is J.J. Watt not on the field for an opportunity? Maybe, maybe you get a stop and maybe it's 10 nothing, and maybe there's a glimmer of hope. No, he's out. So Tennessee, Cincinnati, I just want to throw that out, Kyle. You know, there's a there's a quote from Matthew McConaughey, and this is a weird transition here that uh, to talking about the Arizona Cardinals defense. But Matthew McConaughey always talks about how uh, in 1992, I think it, it was like Kevin Gilbride or oh no, Jim Eddy. I think it was Jim Eddy was the defensive coordinator for the Houston Oilers. And everyone said he was go- He was on a fast track to get a head coaching job and he was going to be, uh, you know, a future. <laughs> he was a defensive coordinator for Houston and he was going to get a head coaching job at the end of the season after they made a run. And then they lost that game where Frank Reich had the amazing comeback. And he got fired the next week, like went from fast track to a head coaching candidate to getting fired within an hour and a half. And that feels like what happened with Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph, where it's like Kingsbury's going to get an extension and Vance Joseph is interviewing for head coaching jobs with the Raiders and the Jaguars. And then it's like, nope, let's fire everyone after one terrible performance. Everyone get the hell out of here because you lost in the wild card game. That's what it feels like the Cardinals are at right now. Well, did we not learn from the Vance Joseph experience in Denver? I don't know. It doesn't seem like a guy that... Oh, you mean the only time I can say in the history of... I mean, again, I was a child then, 17 years old, 16 years old. The only time I've, I've ever physically seen a team quit on their coach in the middle of a game, and then they fired him a week later because they just gave up in the middle of a game against the 3-11 and Raiders. <laughs> that would be the same Vance Joseph, yes. 
Yes, that would be that Vance Joseph that again, the two seasons of six and 10 and seven and nine and the Broncos never even trying to give him a quarterback. That would be that Vance Joseph. Uh, I I was trying to avoid talking about Bengals and Titans as long as possible, but let's talk about this game. I thought the Bengals would be favored going into the game by like two or three points, but it's actually the Titans that are three point favorites. And does that just come down to home field advantage? Is that just the, the swing there on the point spread? Yeah, I think I think it's in the, I think if the game is on a neutral field, it's probably uh, Cincinnati won one and a half right now because they are playing you know just incredible defense. Uh, excuse me, well they're playing decent defense, not great defense, but uh, I mean playing the offense is playing off the charts. I was surprised by the performance of T Higgins, who was kind of a no show uh, last Saturday against the Raiders. Uh, Jamar Chase is pretty much unstoppable, and Joe Burrow may be the number three quarterback in the NFL. Maybe Mahomes. Rodgers, Allen, he's top four or five, that's for sure. Uh, I I like the Titans here. I know, Kyle, that sounds crazy. I, I think, well, I like the Titans with this major asterisk. Is Henry healthy and a full go? If we learn that he is, as we get towards the end of this week, the ball control of the Tennessee Titans should carry them to a win. I believe that. I truly believe that Derrick Henry is is such a huge factor in this game because, you know, Josh Jacobs was running the ball pretty, pretty strong in the first quarter. And just like stupid teams do, they they abandoned the run too early. And I think that's what Vegas did against Cincinnati. And I think if Josh Jacobs, Alabama running back, Derrick Henry, Alabama running back, figures this out early and they have ball control. Tennessee is the unsexiest one seed of all time, but I don't know if Cincinnati can beat them with, with, with a healthy Derrick Henry. I just think he's too much for this defensive, this, excuse me, the Cincinnati defensive front. Now, the Tennessee secondary is not good. Very average secondary. So, you know, Cincinnati is the team that, that can easily score on them, but I'm going to go with the veterans here. I'm going to go with Tannehill, who's been in this moment now, I know they didn't play great last year against Baltimore in this, in, you know, in the wild card game. I've seen Tennessee in this spot come up big against the Bills, against the Chiefs throughout the last two years. If Henry's healthy, I'm going, I'm going Tennessee money line here, probably minus 175. I feel good about it. Don't love it, but feel good. If he is not the starter or not a go, it changes everything, obviously. If he's a no-go, he's going to play. We know that. But is he going to be the guy? If he's not, if we learn that he's not, that's that changes everything. Maybe play Cincinnati small against the spread. But my lean right now with, with a full Derrick Henry is Tennessee money line. It looks like Wednesday is going to be the first day of full practice for Derrick or full contact practice for Derrick Henry. So you know, it's it. None of this makes sense. It's hard to know how they're going to game plan Derrick Henry. How truly healthy he is. It's this is the same thing I did for the last month of the season with the Ravens, which was if Lamar Jackson plays, they win. If Lamar Jackson doesn't play, they lose. And lo and behold, they lost their last five games of the season because Lamar Jackson didn't play in any of them. But that seems to just kind of be the case of they're much better with Derrick Henry, even not just marginally better, significantly better with Derrick Henry. And they're kind of in the middle with everyone else. And in fairness to them, I've been crapping on their defense all season and the past three seasons, but their defense did finish 12th in DVOA this year. So 
they actually do have a chance to slow down the Bengals offense. And if Joe Burrow makes a mistake here and there, they can capitalize on it. But uh, the Bengals, there's an interesting stat also being thrown around that they had the same 11 starters in the playoff game that they had in week one of the season. So they were remarkably healthy on defense this year. And now they lose Larry Ogunjobi and maybe lose Trey Hendrickson for the next game. He's in the concussion protocol right now. So maybe plays, maybe doesn't. But it's interesting to see how Cincinnati does that going up against the Titans offense that, like you said, with Derrick Henry, super overwhelming. Without Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill has fewer than 300 passing yards in his last three playoff games combined. Yeah, it's all about Derrick Henry, and it's all about those two defensive starters that you mentioned. If, if they're out, I feel really good if Henry's in with those two guys out. I, I'm curious to see the betting splits on this game as we get closer to Saturday morning. I, I would love to see if – if I, I think that we'll see more Cincinnati money coming in because they're sexy. You know, Joe Burrows can throw the ball 52 yards to a Jamar Chase. I mean, it's like that that's a fun team to watch. Cincinnati's probably one of the more fun teams that I've seen in a long time in the NFL. So I, I, I think that most people are going to play the Bengals – and I, I just feel I feel good about this play. I, I I'm gonna tell I'm gonna say something pretty bold here, Kyle. The value of Tennessee at minus one seventy is a lot more attractive than let's say Green Bay at two eighty. The the risk reward is right, and I feel better about Green Bay winning. But I mean, I feel pretty good that the the Titans win this game by you know five to nine points. And you're going to give me a hundred dollars less to spend on the money line. I really like that value. I like, like I said, I like it more so than the overall value in Wisconsin when the Packers host the Niners. And it looks like I'm going to be Joe Public guy and take the Bengals on this one because it seems to be the the t. It's the team I guess I have more confidence in just because I've seen how overwhelming that offense is, and I also think I've been saying for weeks the Titans are the sixth best team in the AFC, and I'm sticking to that through thick and thin. That if the Colts had played the Titans last week in an eight one game, the Colts probably win that game. So it's it's weird how that one worked out. Let let's do Bills and Chiefs because. I'm so excited for Bills and Chiefs. We were here literally this week last year because the AFC Championship versus Divisional Round. We did a podcast last year this exact time. Bills and Chiefs, AFC Championship. How is it going to go? Bills Mafia's moment of glory, finally getting to win two playoff games for the first time in 25 years. And now here they are again. And... I think they've got a better chance this year than they did last year. And that's kind of crazy to think about because their offense was number two in the league last year. But I think Buffalo's got a damn good chance this week for you and all of your Bills Mafia fans. Well, you know, I think if you look back at that podcast, I probably was quoted saying this. Anytime you can find Pat Mahomes at home under minus 200, you take it and you put your children's college fund and any inheritance that you may get from your parents on the chiefs. And that's what you should have done in 2021. Um, not so much this year, like you alluded to Kyle, this is tough. This is a tough game, but by the way, full transparency, stay away game. Okay. Let's just say that for me. So I'm going to put myself in a position as a gambler as hopefully your audience is listening to this because they like to gamble. Uh, you know, Kansas city has been a team that you just can't figure out. Uh, you, how, do, how do you explain Kansas City on Sunday night football in the first quarter? How do you explain <laughs> that performance? I mean, how do you explain that? And then 
something clicks and they win the game by what 49 points it seems they like. scored um, six touchdowns in under 30 minutes of nfl game time in a, in equivalent yeah. of a half of football they scored six touchdowns yeah and i would i would almost say this you know the bills scored the first nine points of that game last year and they scored the last nine points of the game last uh, the same they scored the first and the last nine points of that ball game in the afc championship if you would have told me that I would have said, oh, my God, the Buffalo Bills plus 170. What a value. And, you know, they still got killed. Um, the Bills went into Kansas City. Uh, they won the game this year. They won the game because they stopped the run, uh, non-existent running game from Kansas City that night. Uh, I think the Bills figured it out. I told you on your podcast two or three weeks ago, I don't want the Indianapolis Colts. I don't want I, – I, and, I, and I don't want the Los Angeles Chargers – because those two running backs are major threats. Now, Damian Harris had a great game on Monday Night Football five weeks ago against Buffalo, but those conditions were just off the charts absurd. Um, Damian Harris and whoever they have in the backfield in New England, they're not major threats, okay? So the Bills, if you stop the run, it's going to be hard to throw on them, okay? And that's what transpired on Saturday night against the New England Patriots. And that's what transpired on Monday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs. Or Yeah, I think it was Monday night football back in week three or four, whenever that was. So can the Bills stop the run? Answer is probably so. Okay, so do you feel good about that? Can the Bills run on Kansas City? I don't think they can. I don't think they can. I think the the KC run defense is, is now becoming more elite. You saw what Najee Harris did. And you just can't trust the likes of Devin Singletary to have a huge game. So, I mean, if I'm betting this game, I think, I think I'm still, I'm, st- I'm not, I'm going to take, I would take Kansas City on the money line. They're home. They've had the history. You're getting incredible value at what, minus 135, maybe, maybe it's 140, maybe it's 125. You could tell perhaps if you're in front of a computer. Um, I, I just don't see how you can love either side. But I, I think you have to feel good about Pat Mahomes at home. And if you lose the game, you lose the game and you say, you know what? Okay. I was on the side of a guy who typically wins. Well, he has. He's won every home game in the playoffs. He typically wins every game in the regular season. And I got beat by a better team. No regrets. If you take the bills in this spot, you're kind of almost with the whole Rams-Bucks uh, game. Did I really just bet Matt Stafford over Tom Brady? You may feel the same with Josh Allen, who's starting to play, play, you know, very well against New England on Saturday night and played phenomenal against New England week 16. But you have to ask yourself this. If you bet the Bills heavy, you're going to feel stupid if they lose by six to 10, whatever it doesn't matter. They lose by three, you lose the bet. But like, you're not going to feel good about yourself. Why did I bet against Pat Mahomes at home when all I had to do was lay either two points or minus 130. That's how I approach this game, Kyle. No play for me. No play for me. I'm going to watch. I'm going to have a Jim Kelly or Andre Reed jersey on. I'm going to have a couple beers, and I'm going to pray to God. So that's what I'm doing here, but I'm not playing the game. But my advice is play KC Moneyline small. Do the right thing. Don't don't regret this game. Same thing with Tampa. I, I'll, I'll revert back to what I said. No play on this game. If you have to bet it, just take Tom Brady money line because you're getting incredible value there as well. You know? 
Yeah, part of it for me is like an emotional hedge where I'm like, I think Buffalo is going to win while I cradle my Patrick Mahomes jersey in my arms because of the Kansas City Chiefs being the reason all of this exists and me loving football. By the way, to wrap a couple things back up, uh, courtesy of our friends at Bet Online Sportsbook, Chiefs right now are minus 125. Buffalo is plus 105. So, you know, almost even money to bet the Buffalo Bills at this point. And we have uh, the Kansas City Chiefs getting 72% of early money right now. So money line early money is on Kansas City against the spread. It's Chiefs minus two, but most of it, it's like 59% Chiefs. So they're not really going either way. They think it's going to be close with early money there. Um, If you wanted to own a Buffalo Bills jersey from the last 20 years, which is the one that you're picking? Because there's not a lot to choose from. I saw uh, earlier this year, the Bills did a Legends of the Team celebration for some anniversary, and they had Terrell Owens on the list. And I forgot that Terrell Owens spent like eight games with the Buffalo Bills at one point. Um, So if you wanted a Bills jersey from the last 20 years, which one are you picking? That's an easy answer uh, by far. It's not even close. It's Fred Jackson, who actually was a viable running back for the Bills over that stretch of well, maybe six years, perhaps, when they were bad. Uh, Fred Jackson was a really good fantasy option. Um, he had quarterbacks that were pretty bad. J.P. Losman, Fitz, Fitzmagic was okay. Uh, credit to Fitzmagic for being in the stands on uh, Saturday night in temperatures <laughs> without a shirt. Uh, so good. Heart, that was that so was good. Yeah, what a what a guy. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Fred Jackson, uh, Kyle. This is way, this is this is obviously last twenty years, so we're not talking about the incredible runs in the nineties. Uh, it's Fred Jackson for me. He he was good. He was a great running back for us. That's that one's a good pick. I, my mind went to like Stevie Johnson or, or Lashawn McCoy. Sure. Those were ones that I thought of, which I guess offensive side of the ball more than defense. I think Kyle Williams probably takes the cake for most Bills fans because he's that one that kind of embodied all those terrible Buffalo teams, even though he plays like an obscure position. Yes. But yeah, Fred Jackson's a good one. I had forgotten about him. Yeah, it's Kyle Williams is the GOAT for the last, that, that 2005 to 2019 run of really bad football. Uh, I, I would say that Steve Johnson's up there. It's a good one as well. LaShawn McCoy is the Philadelphia Eagle. That's how I look at LaShawn McCoy uh, and lucky to get a ring with, with, uh, with, with uh, the Buccaneers, but in Kansas I, I, city, he got it with Kansas, Kansas city, city too, during the yeah. 2019 one. <laughs> that, that's a very lucky scenario for Mr. McCoy. Um, I don't consider LaShawn one of us. I, I would say it's, it's Fred Jackson and, and he's the guy that I, that I get a Jersey uh, from that, from those really horrific Buffalo Bills years. Yeah. That, that seems to be a, that seems to be a trend is a lot of running backs who were interchangeable parts. Cause eventually you got to luck into some of those running backs seems to be a, a, a thing for teams that didn't have quarterbacks for 20 years. Um, they did Fitzmagic just like purchase tickets in a random section. And then everyone just noticed. It's like, wait a minute. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick just sitting in our section. Like the bills didn't like comp him tickets. He just bought a ticket in the middle of one of these sections behind a goalpost. I thought that was funny. That was just like, Oh, he just bought like a StubHub ticket for this football game instead of getting comped by the bills as like a legend. I don't know how it went down, but I think it was fantastic to see that. And honestly, I think if you looked at StubHub, 
before kickoff or at least on Saturday morning, those upper level seats were really inexpensive. I think, you know, 10 bucks, I mean, who in their right mind there are, and I got to give these people credit. They're amazing. Uh, is going to you know sit in a nosebleed in 10 degree weather where you really can't see the game that well. Uh, but they do. And that's why they're very special fans up there in Orchard Park. But I, I think Fitzmagic probably bought a ticket. Just, you know, it's pretty cool for him to say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to buy a $20 ticket and go up there for five minutes and take a selfie. And I, I think that's really unique. And that's something that you'll never see in the near future an NFL player do again. Yeah, everyone was making the joke on the internet. He's like, he plays for another team and he's showing up to their team, but people forget he is currently unemployed as of the end of this season because it was a one year. He got $10 million to just not play for the Washington football team. He pulled a, he, this is what we call pulling a Jay Cutler, which was Jay Cutler came out of retirement, got 12 million from the Dolphins just to go six and 10. Like Fitzmagic got 10 million, got hurt in week one and just collected his $10 million check and headed out of Washington. So yeah, Fitzmagic is available for anyone like the Steelers looking for a bridge gap quarterback at this point. You can get 38 year old Ryan Fitzmagic. Actually, I just realized if Brian Flores ends up taking the Texans job, Fitzmagic's going to end up being on the Texans because I would Fitz- agree. I would agree. Yeah. If if Flores had his way, which by the way, Flores, you're too good for that job. You shouldn't take it. But if Flores does take that job, he would have kept Fitzmagic as the Dolphins quarterback if he had had his way for the time being, because he kept putting him in over Tua towards the back end of that run. No doubt. I agree with you hundred percent. I think Fitzmagic lands in, in East Texas if somehow Flores lands in Houston. So it should be fascinating to see the offseason with all these coaches. The carousel is unbelievable. Yeah, it's interesting to see that. And I love, I, I made this joke afterwards, but the, it was circulating on the internet. I wasn't the original, but uh, Ryan Fitzmagic has played for five of the eight remaining teams in the playoffs this year. <laughs> of the eight wow. teams left, he's played for five of them. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Because yeah, he got, I think three of them in the A, I think everyone in the AFC except the Chiefs. Like he's got Buffalo, he's got the Titans, he's got Cincinnati, he's got the Rams, and he's got the Bucks. <laughs> and if you told me he played for the 49ers, I'd believe you. I think he plays, I think he's played for everybody. I, I don't believe you. I think he's played for every single team in the NFL. But yeah, I mean, the guy's incredible. Harvard graduate, father of what, like six kids. I mean, the guy's the guy's a special guy. And he, you know, he seems like he's I, I think he still wants to compete. And you know, he's not that much younger than I am. So I gotta give him a lot, I gotta give him a lot of credit. What an amazing athlete. Yeah, shout out Fitzmagic. Uh, surprisingly, also never played for the Browns. I thought 100% he would have been one of those Browns quarterbacks just rotating across 20 years of 28 different quarterbacks, but never played for Cleveland either. It's uh, It's been a weird run for Fitzmagic. It's been a wonderful, wild ride, and I'm glad that he's still somewhere in our lives he's like the level of famous where if he had played for a team he'd be doing local radio like 20 years from now maybe in buffalo uh if that's what he wanted to do with his harvard educated graduate with his harvard education was going to do local broadcasts in the buffalo area he'd be good at that they would welcome him with open arms i can assure you that Absolutely. Well, Razor, best of luck to the Bills. I know this is the second year in a row we're doing this, but good luck going into Kansas City with everything on the line against Patrick Mahomes. Congratulations on getting back at the exact same place you were last year. Uh, We'll do our best, Kyle. That's all I can say. It's a tough game, but uh, 
you know, this is a very good football team with uh, an elite quarterback and elite wide receivers, and we have some elite players on defense. So uh, I, I don't know what to expect in Missouri on Sunday night, but I'm hoping for the best. But I always appreciate your time. Thanks for the plug again, beerlife.com. Find us there. Follow our picks. We can also provide you one of the best handicappers in the industry. We have him. His name is the Oracle. $50 per month is going to get you – an array of NHL, NBA, and NC2A basketball picks. And, of course, if you get on board with us soon, you'll still have the NFL playoffs to work with. So we're very excited about what we're doing there. We're plus 50 units starting from Labor Day to where we are today just after New Year's. So we're very excited about our winnings at Beer Life. And, of course, Beer Life Sports can be found on Instagram and Twitter.